And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael. All right, folks. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have have episode 16 today um, where we will continue to talk about the Detroit music scene and recording with our buddy Chris McIntosh. This is part two. Good to be back. Thank you. Thank you for coming back. Shred before bed, baby. That's right. All right. So uh, let's get back into the whole music thing that we were talking about before. So we kind of went into depth with the whole simplicity and bump stuff, but let's touch on a couple other projects that you did. uh, One being Natives of the New Dawn. Um, Was that a different process since they had like a hip hop element to it? Or was it, did you just kind of, you had your whole mantra before of get what's in here onto there kind of a thing. Was that the same with that or was it a whole different ball game? It, it was pretty much the same for all the stuff that we did with the natives. What, uh, mic wise, when you're doing hip hop stuff too, does it matter if you're using a certain type of mic? Like if you're using, you know, like what we're using sure seven B, uh, or like a Neumann or something like that? I mean, sure, your combination of your mic and your uh, preamp can definitely have a, an overall um, impact on, on the sound. Um, but sometimes I, it, it's just all kind of the eye of the, uh, eye of the beholder. Um, the way they try different mics, some rapper, it sounds real intimate, and they just use a regular dynamic mic real close to the mouth. Uh, others can use a uh, you know condenser configuration, but both work, so there's really no right answer. Did it's you just, guys use this? Did you guys use the same mic for Tony and uh, the MC? No. Um, some stuff we did. Tony, we like I said last time, we did some mid side. Regular condensers. Um, a lot of the other singing was a mixture of both. I mean, all together. But sometimes he liked to just hold the mic and you know sing into it, and and that's the way it worked out. How, in comparison to some of the other stuff, was that something that um, time-wise? I know you said there was a little bit difference between bump and simplicity and what they were doing in the timeline and everything. How, how did that work out with uh, natives or was it just like a, you know, go with the flow kind of a process? It was more of the go with the flow process. It, it wasn't rock salad every day for X amount of time. It was planned here and there. I mean, they did a nice job and, and, but it wasn't just balls to the wall, if you will, you know, salad. Yeah, probably Bump was the only band that really did that, huh? Yeah. Uh, do you know, now, when you do this stuff, do you record how much time? Like, do you record the man hours that are put into these things? Like, is there a going clock on some of the stuff? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, yeah, start time. Um it was a you know business process as well. It was a creative process. I mean, it was, we need to work from this from this time to this time from four to eight p.m. and it was very planned out for most of the projects. Yeah, that's what we used to say. It's time to punch in. 
Yeah, it's time to punch in. <laughs> so did did you did you have any totals on any of those? Like, did you have a like three hundred man hours, four hundred man hours, mixing, editing, doing all the stuff? Or yeah, it was all tracked in spreadsheets and and uh, markings some some way or another, depending on what year it was. But there was a big tally. Um, I mean, sure what are we the, talking here? Like the the few hundreds, the thousand? I mean, like where, where was the in terms of like total production time? Um, that's top secret, bro. <laughs> sounds right. sounds like it. it. Sounds like I'm trying to crack a nut. Crack this nut. I, uh, let me open the safe and and uh, we'll see if I can find that hard drive. No, the uh, <laughs> no. There's a, I have no way of telling what what it was for. I know that there was a uh, you know a rate you know going for the studio and the hours clocked in and clocked out. I mean, but it wasn't like you know. You open the door. The yeah, clock, you're the clock's you're, running. So yeah, you're, pretty, you're pretty generous with that. <laughs> that would be was, awesome if that was. You walk in. There's a, there's a, a shot clock. It just starts instantly yeah, when okay. you walk in. We used to say that. We used to say there might be turnstiles. You, you put the quarter in, then you got to fucking <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had photo eyes that, uh, depending on who I programmed for the time, that once a photo eye was hit, that the clock started. <laughs> Boom. Did you have anybody in any of these bands like a a, a one take champ that just would fucking come in and, and lay it down like and that's it? Oh, th- that person existed in every project. I mean, you know, you know the players just as well as I do. In, right in in the in that uh, in those times of you know doing stuff, but everybody had their time. No, I'll tell you that. I mean, Stir, whew, Brian Sheehan, I mean, you name these guys. They crank it out. Sure. They're professional dudes. They're going to get it done. Absolutely. Well, I guess, too, that was the that's the unique thing about this whole scene, too, that was built was, yeah, you have all this talent, but I think a lot of it had to do with the professionalism. I don't think any of those bands were really carrying themselves in like an idiot kind of a way, you know, like it was very professional, very planned. There was a whole, almost like each band in like a positive way was pushing the other band. Like, you know, they were feeding off, oh, this band's doing well. We got to do the same, you know, level of excellence kind of a thing and, and across the board. And I think that's what kind of propelled everybody, from my opinion, just listening to all of it. So I think there was a big degree of that going on. Not just here, but for the type of shows they had, you know what I mean? And, and what kind of production was going into it with lights and sequencing and all that other kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's definitely true. It happened here, but I saw more of it outside of here. Yeah, I mean, even one night before Thanksgiving, the Natives played and Bum played at two different venues in Detroit. Yeah. So, you know, it's a fucking, com- you know, it's a, I don't know, friendly little battle, if you will. <laughs> It was kind of a friendly little battle, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. there was a sense of competition, but at the same time, I mean, it was healthy. Everybody, it's not, I don't think people were. Well, I knew a lot of people that went to both shows, you know? Well, here, and I'm, I'm not saying this because of the music, but I think it's like saying fish and dead. Like if the fish, if fish and dead were playing at the same time, you'd have a conundrum on your hands. Like, which one am I going to see? Because I love both <laughs> and I don't know what mood I'm in right now, but you know, like that kind of a thing. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I know the music's a lot different, but the actual concept behind that little, you know, conundrum. Yeah. And that did that did go on. Where was it, Kevin? Didn't they have the, uh, uh, the, Bump the, played, the Bump Thanksgiving played shows or some shit? Yeah. Bump played Majestic and the Natives played at St. Andrews. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> I think you played in the band at St. Andrews. You opened for the Natives with some, didn't you open? Yeah, Woodward. Woodward. <laughs> Good now, did you did you play anything on any of these albums? Like, did you play any instrument or do anything? Like, let's say, you know, you came up with a cool little idea, and they're like, "Oh, well, you just play that," or was there any of that kind of stuff? Or obviously, you're a musical person; you play the drums, guitar, all that stuff. So, yeah. Oh, there was a it, it was a yeah salt and pepper shaker, as they say, of me and the and different stuff. Um, Kevin mentioned the Woodward Project. I was a full drum you know, person for that recording, but other stuff, it's, um, you know, for, you go on down the line, you were talking about natives and bump and simplicity. There were a few vocals, some guitar chops here and there. Um, probably a little bit of keyboard. Okay. Yeah. You, you know, played on a lot of stuff, but you're always sneaking in there. Well, I know because I used to see you. You were the drummer for Hogan Says for a while because I used to come see you guys at Fishbones. Yeah, absolutely. Still around. And, and LLE played with us. <laughs> That's right. I used to cover Baco in uh, <laughs> LLE. But, oh, yeah, I, yeah, those were, isn't that fun? Just playing out with everybody. Yeah, the old Fishbones. I know. Or, well, not the old Fishbones, but the downtown Fishbones. Right. I remember playing there when the uh, waterfall worked. Shit was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it worked back in the day when like simplicity wouldn't, you yeah. know, when Bump would play there back in the day. But soon enough, they... uh, unlimited beer, the shit was right. I think I don't know, maybe Clint ruined all that stuff. I heard, but I'm not really for sure. <laughs> there, there was a myth, but I don't think it was him. I don't know. I'm not accusing <laughs> anybody anything. Yeah, yeah. all the so... soup and salad and all the beer you can fucking drink. <laughs> yeah. I'll have three whiskey chickens and a quart of beer. <laughs> and a barbecue chicken salad. Oh, yeah, they had the Jack Daniels whiskey chicken at the... <laughs> whiskey at, chicken. At the fish bones. <laughs> so do you think um, when you uh, were playing, like when you were playing on some of these, like you just said, you did some stuff, you filled some stuff in, were you trying to get in that mindset of that band to complete that part, or was it something you felt like you were already part of it from having to record it, so you felt like you had a good grasp on what they wanted based on what you had done so far? I guess I'll, I'll answer the question like this, to say some of the parts were just ideas that I had, that whether it was me or anybody played, it was just an idea kind of a rigid part of the song or a certain melody or certain harmony in the background. But other parts were, you know, everybody has a unique style, you know, uh, Fickney and Stir and um, Brian Sheehan and everybody. And I had my own little personality. I think of my own, the way that I play the guitar. And so, so some people would say purpose, you know, purposefully play purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Purpose. Like Mac. Don't, don't let squeaks get on you. This kid's king squeaks. <laughs> so sometimes they would say, sound like Chris McIntosh playing the guitar. But other times it was just me playing something that could was just otherwise just an idea. Okay. 
So both happened. So why don't you talk about what you did a bunch of like solo. I know there was a bunch of not full bands, but either a solo artist or somebody came through there. Why don't you tell us about some of those? Because actually I don't really know too much who all came through there myself other than the bigger bands. I was going to bring something up. I just saw a sweet video on Facebook for one of Justin Rock's tunes. This guy made like a short film to, to it. Yeah, I saw it too. It was pretty cool. Oh, no kidding. So I oh, guess yeah. I guess I'll I'll uh, let me think. I'll answer this question by doing this here. Um. All right. So, are you guys looking at me, or are you looking at a folder right now? We're looking at a folder. Okay, so this is just kind of you said who and what. So I'm just. Can you read it all right? Yeah. So. <laughs> the, <laughs> oh my god! I'm just trying to run you through some of the names, you know. That, yeah. that, that just keep might. talking, bro, because that's the only way we're going to see this thing. So. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> here is you know a big folder of uh, you know a bunch of goodies here. That was older stuff. This is well newer, going probably ten years back. Oh, so, I see pussy tooth. <laughs> that's right. There was there was put. Um, I can't say that word on TV, but <laughs> yeah, you can say whatever the fuck you want, here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but so there's a whole plethora of. I mean, whether it was you know solo artists or certain. Yeah, I saw Ali on there. I saw Justin Rock. I saw. I mean, there's a ton of shit on there. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, and you say Justin Rock, and you, uh, Kevin, you mentioned it a second ago. I mean, it that was a great, great experience as well. It was back in the day, and he was the first person I met when I came there. I walked in, and I was like, "Oh, what's this music going on down here? This shit sounds interesting." It was, it was him recording. That was, he had a nice style to it. He's it had a couple a, of nice styles. Yeah. Yeah, now I think he's mainly jazz or some fusion jazz, but I think back then, yeah, was he more singer songwritery? Yeah, it was a totally different project, but he got through that and he's like, huh, I'm done with this and this is what, what I want to do. And that's what he started doing was the, the jazz, jazz fusion stuff, started studying and everything, which is all, it's all good. But back in the day when he was starting out, was, you know, singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. Type type stuff, but it was very unique, and it was there's a couple of tunes that I'm super proud of doing with them. Hell yeah! What what was it like recording this kid right here, this little bird man named Maurice? Hey, the bird man. Um, <laughs> the bird man was fun. You know, Kevin, I was just listening. You don't remember the song? I had it all queued up, ready to go in that program. It was called Price. Yeah, it sounded sound like the prices, uh, prices right themes, or not the theme song, but like when they show a prize. Well, you were talking about having one hit uh, guys that can, you know, one rip wonders that'll play the fucking solo in one take. I was the exact opposite of that. <laughs> uh, with the LLE stuff, you did crank her now to crank and, and uh, with Hogan says, you know, so. You know, to answer your question, uh, Kevin was very easy to work with. <laughs> he knew he knew his parts. He played his parts, and sometimes he improvised. And he uh, good tones. We always had some good gear cranking down here, right? Yeah. So basically, 
half the budget of his band was his guitar studio work. Is what you're saying? Oh, oh some other, some other people in the band had had a harder time. Don't <laughs> don't you blame me, man. Uh, yeah, oh. Those were the days back in the day when uh, everybody would get mad at one person because they were taking too long because it was on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> I never got afraid because I, I never got mad because I was just getting worried that I had to go next. So I was like, "Take your time, bro." The best track. Though, Take your the, time. Some of the best tracks that ever happened were when everybody was off the clock and a guitar person or a vocal person or a keyboard person would be like, hey, you want to fire that up one more quick time? And then, boom. Yeah. It hits. What do you think, if you had to pick one of the most important pieces of equipment you use or have used on all this stuff, what would, you, what would it be? Whether it be a mixer, a mic, a, what do you think colored the music? the best for you out of all your stuff? That's far too complicated a question to answer. Thinking, <laughs> is there one thing? Uh, I can name a handful of things. I know it's a combination of stuff, but is there like one piece that you're like, I love this thing. This thing is gold for me. Um, you know, back in the day, it was called Waves Gold Bundle. You know, some yeah, like Waves. Yeah. Some, pl- some uh, plugins for in- enhancing the uh, the mixing experience, and that's a great tool. You know, is it fake? It's not a rack. I mean, but you know, I guess tube amp- tube amplifiers, real drums, and I mean, some of that stuff does sound better than some of the rack stuff. It just depends on what it is. I think just depends on what it is, um, and even some of the program stuff sounds just as good as because I've done you know the. The one-to-one testing depends on what it is, but be that as may, you know, for vocals, an LA six ten, an LA two A, eleven seventy six preamp, for guitar, an SM fifty seven microphone, and a great sounding tube amplifier. Sometimes it's that simple. <laughs> that doesn't sound simple. I don't know what the fuck you just said. <laughs> it was pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I was going to ask you, um, it looks like Simplicity's playing Beaver Island this year. They're getting back together for like one show or whatever. Um, you, used to do, you used to do the sound for Beaver Island, didn't you? I did it for, for the second year. They did it themselves the first year. So I did it years two, three, four, five, and six. I think it was four years. Two, three, four, five, maybe four or five years that I did it. Sorry for, sorry for that counting, but oh, and it sounded, you know, it started a little bit small, and then it just got extravagant, and then it just became very hard and difficult, and and uh, and they the, the 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 event itself just outgrew what I was capable of. I was just I couldn't handle all the the, the shit that went into it. By the time it got as big as it did. Yeah, that last year with natives, I think Hogan says played simplicity. Yeah. That shit was fun. Is pretty good. That was pretty sweet, man. Oh, it was fun. It was you know work and work. One year I did it, I was I had mono. So oh. it was just all the running around. And, uh, it was a tough. I was working. It was much fun as it was hard work for me to. Now that's dedication to a craft. <laughs> I had mono. <laughs> I mean, don't you remember, Hogan? We would go up there just to, you know, rain and all that mess and all that 
digging trenches for microphone <laughs> cables. And, yeah. It was it was a lot of fun, but but it was a lot of work. But well, the one year we took all like as much gear as we could fit into Rob's van. Remember oh, that? there was all kinds of vans packed with all kinds of gear. A couple of years, you had the Simplicity bus just packed with stuff, you know. But it was a lot. It was like tons of like literally a few tons of gear that everybody piece by piece by piece would pull up there. Yeah. It was a that uh, Beer Island's actually kind of a unique place. You know, you know about the mystical stuff there, the the stone circle and everything. There's a lot of like ancient American shit there. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a whole. I think Northern <laughs> Michigan. Yeah, no, no, no. This is like what we normally do on our show. This mystical stuff, but Northern Michigan usually go, takes a class there and everything. And there they found like um, something having to do with like ancient Celtic glyphs and everything, and then. They're part of it is too that they found um, copper, like pure Michigan copper in Egypt too, which is kind of fucking crazy. But we'll we'll get into that another time. But uh, yeah, Beaver Island is a cool place. I just know it's very very flat. It is. Well, yeah, it is flat. It is, but then it is creepy. I've stayed in a couple hotels um, in the downtown area that are uh, definitely. Very old. One of them was just really boxy, creepy, very compartmentalized. And, and But, you know, you go through the paths, you see all the light, you see all the trees. And we carved out a huge space where they used to hold it. Not we. People carved out this Danny, the guy who owned the land. You know, carve out all this stuff. And every year it just got more and more fancy and more costly. And by the end of it... You guys cleared all that opening? No, I I wasn't a part of that process, but the the guy whoever did it did it, but the thing just grew from just like this backyard thing where you set up a couple amplifiers and a drum kit and a set of speakers to building this huge stage that had two halves. And then they built that. Remember when they built the. Uh, you know, little perch where we did all the mixing and all that stuff. Yeah. That wasn't there the whole time. I mean, that was all part of this growth and the rocks in front of the stage. And um, it was quite a, it became, obviously it's still going on today, right? I don't know if it has been on every year since then, but yeah, it's going on this year. Yeah. I don't know if it, if it, if it has been going on, but I well, actually, actually never I, went to. I never went to any of the Beaver Island shows. I'm actually, maybe I'll have to check that out. Summer, you said they're playing there. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass to get up there. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is an adventure. <laughs> Planes, fa- trains, and automobiles. Yeah, the, the ferry. And we'll have to get a dugout canoe and just do it the real way. <laughs> Hell, it's 30 miles offshore, so that's not a canoe ride. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I guess to get back get back to the serious stuff here, but what when you were recording this stuff and you do all the effects now, do you do effects beforehand, afterhand, or it's just something that's dependent on what's going on? Because I know, like, for instance, if I was playing the guitar solo, I'd probably want a certain amount of effect on what I'm doing based on the song. But was there anything where later on you would add certain effects to certain things to give it a certain tone or something based. Maybe somebody didn't like something and then ran it through some sort of effect or something like that. 
I mean, it happened constantly. I mean, all the guitar players have their rig. They they know their pedals. They know what they're doing. But in the end, the mixing process, I mean, you talk about vocals. You start playing with delays, if it's appropriate. You know, um, you talk about doing doubling, if it's appropriate. Keep it classy. Keep it classy. Keep it classy. You know, guitars, you know, you would just get into, you know, most of the time it's just some sort of EQ or in the overall mix, you'd have a guitar all bus track that you would put, you know, maybe a little bus compressor on or something like that. But there was always sometimes a little additive or a little bit. T- you can take away using plugins and you can add using those same tools. And they all went in there. But certainly guitars, you know, keyboard tones. Uh, whoever had a pedal on the floor, if you record it that way, you can't take it away. Is what they say. Was there <laughs> was there any simultaneous like was there any ba- like bumps and puss any of these they were doing it all at once or was it all piece by piece or was it a mixture of both or how did that work? Mixture of both. A lot of times for like what we used to call a skeleton track. You'd have, like, the for drums, you know, obviously most of the stuff you do is you dial in the drums first. But you record all the other stuff with it, but then you have to get into isolation. So you have guitar players in the back, uh, amplifiers in the back of the basement, guitar amplifiers upstairs, kind of safeguarded where they wouldn't be bleeding through the drums. So you'd have everybody through a set of headphones doing something at the same time, but for purposes of only extracting maybe one or two tracks out of that entire band take that you'd actually end up using. But it was just just for placeholder, and then people would go back and fill it in. Some songs just started with a click track and a drummer. Clint can play play with a click track like no other. Well, that's another thing I was going to ask you. Because I know, I mean, there's, you know, uh, I I think my drummer's a phenomenal drummer, but he doesn't play to a click. I think it depends on the band and the style and everything. It does. But yeah. Do you think though was was all were all the bands on the click track, or is that just something that Bump? I know Bump used to use it live too. Um, I mean, a lot of bands did it. Um, some did the second time. You know, they did a group a record or recording, whatever. You know, against it the first time, used it the second time. Bump used it religiously. Uh, sure, you could, if your drummer is, I'm sorry, maybe it sounds bad, but if your drummer is a metronome, then you don't need to click. <clears throat> Otherwise, it works in your favor. <laughs> sure. Yeah, because you try an overdub, you're fucked if you don't mm-hmm. have to click. And then as you talk about the spread of music, I mean, how much music is actually 100% only relying on a drummer? A lot of times you put hand percussions after it or maracas or shakers. And as soon as you want to introduce that stuff electronically where it's dead nuts, or you can dial it in as far as having a certain human value, depending on your plugin. At the same time, it's all based on something that's absolutely solid. So if your drummer can play with a click, you can do cut and paste parts later on with far more ease for vocal consistency. You know how you listen to a song, right. and for some reason, all four courses sound 
exactly the same. <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no secret to it. Copy paste, you know. But if you want to do all that post editing stuff, it's going to like logically and time more sense to re- record click in the beginning. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I know personally, I've done it both ways. I did when we recorded our first CD. I did it at everybody separately, and it was just too. When it came out, it was too clean. It sounded like some robot had produced this thing or some AI. Um, when we did it all together, it sounds because we're a three piece. It sounds far better. So I think that there's. I think it does depend on what's going on and everything. But I think for that band, like Bump, using the click, it was necessary because they use a lot of synthesizers. And that kind of stuff. And as you know, if you start messing with tempo with synthesizers, it gets all you know muddled. So yeah, all the MIDI stuff they they had to be clocked right on. But you know, you you made this reference before. You know, you listen to the Grateful Dead and you listen to Fish. You brought up the who would you see in concert right, if you're playing right, simultaneously? Right. So what do you paint on that project? I mean, you can put a metronome in front of Fishman, but you. Don't generally put a <laughs> metronome in front of two drummers playing at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, there is a little breathing and wiggle room. As long as the overall project is moving in a consistent yeah. direction, it can be indetectable. But there's nothing more sterilizing than listen to, um, you know, a piece of music that's not purposefully just constantly going off tempo. Right. Definitely, I agree with that. Um, what when you had, when we're talking about all this stuff, and when we talk about this whole like little musical movement that was going on at that time, and I mean it still kind of continues on to this day, but I mean it was really early, you know, two thousands, the mid two thousands was really in in high gear. Do you think that? I mean, I I personally do. I think music's lost its soul. I think it's you know even the people that still make good music that are these underground or lesser known or independent or whatever you want to call it. Um, there's just not enough of them to make an impact on, on society, you know? Um, I, th- I think, I think they're out there. I just, yeah. I don't know who they are just because I'm 46 years old. I mean, at this point, I think there's plenty of, I mean, is that what I'm getting? The just up, you said there's not a lot of people. Well, out yeah, because like the way I see it is like the, that was like the last like great little movement that wasn't like nationally, you know, accredited. It's not like you're, you know, Britney Spears or anything like that. But it's obviously something that was the last little pocket, in my opinion, of like good independent music. There's still good independent music, but there's just not enough of it. And even though we have YouTube, we've got SoundCloud, we've got all these great uh, tools. Not enough of the good shit's being heard, or has society just adopted popular music and rap, and that's kind of wormed his way in there to you know because there's just not a lot of I mean some of the stuff's technical, but I mean let's face it, some of the stuff's just really you know <laughs> yeah some of it you don't need instruments to do right um, yeah know, I think if you be, I, I was just trying to be nice with the yeah. I I hear you I know exactly what you mean and I and go ahead Kevin you were saying. I was gonna Sorry. say if you if you search hard enough, I'm sure you can find some stuff. There's so much fucking music out there. It's I mean that's a that's a pretty broad statement you're saying. Yeah, I think it is, but it's important to remember. Like, why has you know Guitar Center's inventory shrunk by eighty percent? You know, um, why have all these mom and pop 
you know, God bless Joe's music over there on Grashit, but these places they dry up and are there less musicians? Kind of what you were yeah, saying. I used to be a manager at the guitar center out here. I can tell you that there's only one person that works at the store from when I worked there. And that was like 10 years ago. Um, there's a high turnover. They don't run their business that well. Um, not only that, the internet, like now I buy most of my shit online because you don't have to pay tax on certain things and you get, you know, the same discount that you would go into any of those other stores now. So it's really the whole thing that what you're saying, I think I agree with, there's just not a ton of people playing instruments because it used to be like the surplus thing when the economy was good and things were booming and everybody was happy and blah, 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 blah. And now we see, so you look at society, everybody's fucking miserable, you know, daily, you look at the news, it's the most depressing fucking thing I've ever seen. Um, not that it's hasn't been like that in the past. I'm, I'm just I'm saying, pretty, like, I'm a pretty happy guy, man. I'm not going to lie. You're so, happy, dude. And look at what you've accomplished. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You know, <laughs> This guy's getting dark over there, man. No, I'm just saying like, no, I'm just saying like he's right. Look at what's happened with the whole. I'm talking about music. I'm not talking about life in general. But I'm just saying through music. Yeah, I've never really thought about it like that. I don't know the stats. Well, you can see this pattern, man. Look at the TV. It's all either singing competitions or it's popular music or it's rap. There really is no. The people, even yeah, there is like, no rock anymore, right? Right. Look at the Grammys. Yeah. The people that are winning the awards should be the people that are playing the instruments on these albums. Instead, it's the person that didn't even write the song that's singing somebody else's song. That's they getting pulling paid, out a titty. That's getting paid millions and millions of dollars, and it's being produced <laughs> by a bunch of other people. You know, so it's like these people. I don't know who's worse: the people that are feeding into this that just need to pay their bills, or the people that are creating this that are marketing it. Probably both, but. Maybe what we're discussing is what you're calling a musician on TV is not the same discussion as about saying a different kind of musician. I think there's a pop culture element, I think, for sure, what you're saying. But going back to what you alluded to, like, you know, a, a, a little, small little industry, a group of music, something, you know, coming up from a city and... You know, I, I hopefully it's out there. I know I was involved in a whole but you know swirl of shit with all the bands that we've been talking about. And if there's a bunch of youngins out there, knee high to a grasshopper, doing what we used to do, looking fantastic. You know, that's kind of how it happened for us. I don't know if that exists today. Do you? I mean, I don't. That's what I was trying to say. I, I don't see it. I, I mean, I, I kind of keep an eye, you know, like the jam scene's always cool because they do have new bands that come on and they do promote within and whatever. That's kind of like the only saving grace. That's why I like jam music. But if you're looking at rock or even like, you know, like metal's pretty underground now too, you know, like stuff like that, you know, it, for a while it was becoming more mainstream and then lost its, you know, touch a little bit. and Which uh, is a shame because the metal... The metal raised <laughs> metal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. That's just my opinion. I just, I feel doom and gloom about it because I just see what's going on and I don't feel like um, everybody just accepted. Like there was a question that used to come around 10 years ago or so is rock dead is rock dead. Like now it's fucking <gasps> dead, bro. Like bless you. There, there's no debating it. Like, r- not only is rock dead, but fucking, you know, pop and rap dug its grave and fucking, you know, shoveled in the dirt, you know. Are oh, you killing me? What do you mean, rock's, rock's not dead for me? It's no, it's not. It lives within singular people, you know, but the actual concept of it being like this genre of music is kind of dead. I mean, I mean, who, there's a handful of decent bands that I would even say are rock bands, you know. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it depends on where you're, what angle you're coming from. Is, is there a big rock scene today? No, but rock's never changed for me, right? I still like all the music that I used to like. I like new stuff they come up with. Um, I guess it depends on the listener. I mean, are you is is one constantly out for a certain type of music, or are they, do they follow some some of the bands I followed through my life? There's like periods of time where I hated what they did, right? And, and like what they did, then I didn't, and then you pick up on it again. So I mean, again, I think it's a big turning wheel of what's hot, what's not. You know what I mean for you or for. Market that stuff will like the good stuff will ever swing back around, or do you think it's something that's going to just completely keep evolving till we're listening to computer or we're all listening to inorganic tones? You know, I don't. You know, there's this one band to answer your question. I guess short. You you never know because there's this one. What what is it? You guys probably know it's something Greta. I don't know. I live my. I, I live in a bubble. With I don't know. I wish. I, let me try to look it up. This band sounds like the what would be a child of Led Zeppelin. I thought uh, that way about Wolf Mother when they came oh, out for the first time. Is it is it Greta Van Fleet? That's it, Greta Van Fleet. <laughs> when you listen to this stuff, um, I've heard nutshell, it. I've heard it. Maybe there's not a ton of bands that are, or you got garage bands that want to sound like Led Zeppelin. This stuff is original. I mean, it is crisp. Is yeah, be. I've heard this shit. It's sweet. And so I said, eventually it's going to come around again. And these guys certainly demonstrate the fact that there are a few dudes out there who still care about cranking guitar amplifiers and hitting the shit out of drum sets. They're, they demonstrate that. Well, I think, you know, if you can make it sound like now, I think if somebody is that talented and there's there has been this window, I think there is this window now. I think if somebody were to come along that was so unique that was so talented like a new Jimi Hendrix let's hypothetically like somebody that was unbelievable at guitar you know that came today I mean I think there's this window I think you can you can get in there and I think you could do something but I think it would take a whole like little movement kind of like what we saw like with all these bands that you did Um, right place right time yeah, right place, right time, but on a national scale too. Like you know, yeah. I think that was the. I like I said last on the last episode, the first part of this was, you know, I think that was the biggest, you know, um, thing for me was not seeing those bands that we're talking about, Bomb, Simplicity, all these bands, Natives. Uh, I mean, I know they were in competitions and they did a lot of cool stuff. I just think that they were better than a lot of the stupid stuff that was out there at the time, um, and they should have been in that spotlight, in my opinion. I'm dev- I, 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 agree, I agree with everything that you said. This uh, band Greta Van Fleet's from Frankenmuth, Michigan. Oh, wow. Uh, are they? Is it, isn't that something? Yeah. yeah. Three of yeah. the dudes are brothers, or the three of the dudes have the same last name. I, is there a band Christmas theme? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right. like jingle bells in a metal version. Do they make amazing <laughs> fried chicken? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, that was just one example of, I mean, I'm not even necessarily quote into them. No, I've but, heard them. They're good. That's, that's they, funny that you mentioned they, them. They, 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 they crank. I mean, you, it's you like heard a, it here, folks. Mac is recording their new album, Greta oh, Van Fleet. That, that, that would be fun. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Do you still pursue, like, do you still record band? Like, does, if people still come down, are you still doing stuff? Or what's going on with that? 
I mean, it's pretty slow these days. I mean, is that because you don't want to do it or is it because there's just nothing that really excites you about it? No, it's not the reason that nothing excites me about it. It's just kind of some of the bands that I routinely did back in the day, um, do different things, moved on, moved up, broke up, grew up, had kids. I mean, you, you the whole spectrum of, of what everybody's doing. But from time to time, some of those people, we get back together and record jam sessions. But He just made a pretty sweet album with Scott Fargo. Do you know who that is, Mike? No, I've never heard of him. That was a that couple years ago. Oh, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a couple years ago. Yeah. And it's fan- sick, though. Yeah, well, a year and a half, two years ago? I can't even remember these days, but I think maybe you released it a year ago. I can't. But phenomenal musician, great record called Valhalla. Um, you know, iTunes, you know, uh, I don't know what the, the website is. I can, we can post something later on, but he did a fantastic job. That was probably the most recent, you know, solo project that you had mentioned. Right. Probably Scott Fargo's record. Okay. Sounds good. So do you, um, let's see here. Oh, yeah, I know what I was going to ask you. Now, do you, when you look back and you said you, you were first getting into recording and stuff like that, because, you know, you just kept getting better with the technology and it was something that interested you, you had already been playing the drums and the guitar and everything. Do you think that um, there was a specific band or song or something that kind of pushed you in that direction? Was there some sort of inspiration from a specific band or song? For me to do recording stuff? Yeah, just like, was there anything that like, okay, so like some people say, you know, okay, computers, like one of the greatest albums. Like if you listen to that, it's a work of art. Is there anything like that from your childhood that you look back on? You're like, that inspired me to do this? Or was it just something through technology that interested you? Oh man, that's a, a big um a and B or all the above answered type of uh, question. I, you know, I grew up a Van Halen guy, very raw sounding, simple, flat, EQ'd recording type of person. But you learn to do different stuff and people have different expectations and, and you kind of touch on everything, I guess. Did you see so you're a big Van Halen fan? Did you ever mess with like, brown sound or mess with the wiring on any amps to kind of do the stuff that he was doing or since he kind of came out with his own line of stuff later on PV and um, some of the other stuff, did you just, you get into that way? I mean, if you, if you depending on the year of the tube amplifier you purchased, you could very well have been messing with brown sound. Right. Well, I know Mesa's got, um, purpose. I mean, there it's a setting when you talk about, right. Met, I mean, but you, you old, uh, you know, old Marshall had an old Mesa Boogie had the DC series back then. I mean, 22 caliber. However clean your power is going into it is as clean as your tubes are. And there's a lot of variance in there. But Right. But for sure with, you know, brown tubes and microphones, I don't know if you're alluding to guitar specifically or in just... Well, okay, so, no, I was just talking about, like, back in the day they said, like, Van Halen would mess with the AC power and he would brown the power to make his tone squeal through the amplifier when he would, like... Because he's a big tinker. Like, he would take his own pedals and fuck with shit. He would mess with his amplifiers and his chassis and everything. Um, They get a certain sound. He's not even... 
I don't know if you know this, he's not even musically trained. He's just, his dad was like a Dutch musician um, and they had a piano when they were younger and that was pretty much it. Like he just, did you just ask me if I didn't know if Eddie Van Halen wasn't musically trained? <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, I, some people, some people don't know Flea wasn't musically trained. I mean, there's a lot of people that, I mean, that's not really that I know you probably do cause you're, that's your hero and everything, but um, <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Around. Well, I mean, I've been learning Van Halen stuff for years. I didn't, didn't know that I read an article a couple of years ago where it was talking about what I was just talking about where, he doesn't even know like notes and stuff like that. It was all just tinkering and then kind of like learning, you know, through sound and everything. Well, that, that, you know, that was a big part of it. it was classically trained pianist as well from right. a, from a young age. So I don't know his extent of what he can read music or not. I can tell you that he's inspired me to do a lot of the things that I've done. He melts faces. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And, you know, the Brown Town thing, you know, changing uh, biases on amplifiers and doing all that kind of stuff. I don't know if I was, did a whole ton of that stuff. I've always been a tinkerer mm-hmm. for doing different stuff and and uh, a, chone, a tone chaser, as they say. A choner. Okay. <laughs> He's got a real choner. <laughs> um. So to wrap this thing up, though, let's just hit on this real quick, and we'll get to it next time. But you've had a few mystical experiences of your own. Why don't you give us a little preview of that? Were you what, what you saw something like a spirit or a ghost or something? Well, yeah, what I alluded to last time. If you want to talk about supernatural <laughs> or ghost, we love talking supernatural or or, uh, or ghosts uh, or supranatural, <laughs> right? Well, there was a place on uh, Kenwood. Um, for a short time, I lived with my folks when they lived there in uh, Gross Point Farms, Michigan. And there was a ghost. Um, the first night I moved in. There's no All right, I'm going to stop it. you. I'm going to stop you right there. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to wrap this up, actually. I call, is... I, I call him the Midnight Tap Dancer. This guy wouldn't shut up. We're gonna get into this next time, but uh, I want to hear this shit now. It's great, it's great having you on, and thanks uh, for having me, guys. We'll have you on again, and we'll definitely we'll start out with the ghost next time. So we'll talk ghost. All right, well that's it, folks. There's your little uh, wrap up on the Detroit music scene with all those bands, Bomb, Simplicity, Natives, and all those solo acts, and uh, the amazing, amazing producer, Mister Chris McIntosh. Uh, Too kind, thank you. That's fun. Cheers, brother. Cheers. All right, folks. We'll get you next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.